0: Hey everyone, it's me, Phil, from The Week in Doubt. So, I've been thinking about every once in a while releasing some quote-unquote stale Patreon bonus content. Maybe after a bonus episode has been sitting around for roughly a month or so, um, I I may or may not release it to the public. And I'm trying to err on the side of fairness to my Patreon supporters. I know most of them probably support me out of the goodness of their heart. And because they believe in what I'm doing, I don't think it's necessarily the case that they're just supporting me so they can get their hands on that exclusive bonus content. Uh, Either way, I still want to try to be fair to them. So I'll, I'll probably wait till at least roughly a month before I even decide if I'm going to release a bonus episode to the public or not. So I guess I'll start with episode one of the not-so-secret show. This was originally released on the 4th of last month, and uh, it's now the 3rd of March. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I barely remember what the hell I talk about in this episode. I do know um, I talk about the, uh, the passing of Dolores from the Cranberries. I do remember talking about that. But here we go. I hope you guys enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome to the not so secret show, episode one. So uh, this is kind of a rebirth of that test drive I did, where I was doing uh, these shows for Patreon supporters only that had kind of like a live show feel. Drop there. That's Odin's ring. Yeah. Odin's Wolves. This is this like Nordic shamanic band I found out about. Sleipnir is Odin's eight legged horse. Really cool, really primitive kind of sound. Start drinking my rum and coke from my Krampus mug. Yeah, man. I'm gonna take a Kratom. I tried uh, Kratom for the first time. I think the music's kind of distracting me. Tried Kratom for the first time this past Thursday. I'll let the music fade out. Yeah, and since this isn't, well, I might put like a small sample portion of this on YouTube, but uh, the not-so-secret show is going to be for you guys, and it's probably obvious why I'm calling it the not-so-secret show, because uh, in a sense it's kind of secret that only you Patreon people get to hear the full version of it, but obviously it's known enough. And people got here to hear little whispers about it. <laughs> Hopefully it might entice them to uh, become Patreon supporters. So the not-so-secret show. Not sure how clever or not that is, but uh, I kind of like it. It has a significant amount of uh, alliteration. So as I was saying, yeah, I-, I tried Kratom this past Thursday. And if you've never heard of it, you might be thinking, what the hell is Phil talking about? Well... You guys know how I'm a fan of the Drunken Peasants. And actually, the uh, the Drunken Peasants just uh, got a new lease on life, in a way. Or uh, they were the show was resurrected, in a sense. There was some online drama involving the Drunken Peasants. Uh, I, I saw that show going indefinitely. The people on the show, for the most part, seemed like they had a really good chemistry. TJ, a.k.a. The Amazing Atheist, really seemed to get along well with his uh, friend and uh, business partner, I guess, uh, Ben. And um, I never saw anything coming in between them on the horizon. But I guess TJ just got sick of doing the Drunken Peasants, had a new vision for what he wanted to be doing creatively. So there was a split. Ben wanted to keep the Drunken Peasants going. TJ went on to start this new show called Deep Fat Fried, where they take a very in-depth look at maybe one or two topics. So it's not as much of a smorgasbord as uh, DP was, where they had all different types of segments. Uh, They would look at um, a variety of news stories and watch YouTube videos. With this, they'll take one subject, or like I said, maybe two, and go really in-depth. Like, they did one where they take a look at the Emperor Caligula. The very first one, they devoted the whole show, which was over an hour long, to Tim Allen. And uh, and that left a lot of the viewers wondering initially what the hell kind of show it was going to be and whether or not it would end up being successful. It seemed kind of a strange inaugural episode topic. An entire episode uh, devoted to, uh, or dedicated to, tim allen but so far it's been pretty interesting i still think i prefer the drunken peasants format uh but anyway so there was some legal stuff going on behind the scenes which they just finished ironing out so now um the drunken peasants has resumed without tj tj's brother scotty and uh paul's ego so now you have ben billy the fridge and there's going to be uh a couple of rotating slots for various uh, co-hosts and guests. But the reason why I started talking about the Drunken Peasants is because I learned about Kratom from watching... I learned it from watching you. I learned about Kratom from watching uh, the Drunken Peasants because Ben was always taking Kratom on the show. And then um, there was a guest host, this YouTuber named Pimp Monk. I have trouble saying that. Pimp Monk. Just this big, fat, lovable teddy bear of a guy, and when he sits in on live streams with Ben or whatever, he will eat Kratom by the spoonful, which is kind of impressive, given how strong the stuff can be in significant doses. So it's this herbal drug. I believe it's uh it's found in its natural form in its plant form in Southeast Asia. And, you know, places like, uh, I think, Thailand and Bali, etc. And it's been used for centuries. And it's supposedly chemically similar to an opiate, but not enough to be addictive in the same way, supposedly. But I think some say that, you know, anything that, that makes you feel good, in a way, can be addictive. So it's thought not to be as addictive as opiates, but I guess, um, you can get at least psychologically addicted to taking it. And supposedly in small doses, it can act as a stimulant and in large doses, uh, larger doses, that's when the, the, uh, opiate effects manifest and if you take really take too much of it, you can get sick. Supposedly not overdose, but you can end up vomiting and just not feeling very good, you know? Um, but when people are on it, they describe uh, a sense of euphoria, of calm, st- like an, an, an enjoyable sense of well-being. Supposedly, some people take it to help get off of opiates. Some people take it for... Um, for anxiety or depression, to help with things like that, and I think chronic pain too. And to be honest, I'm just this is the not so secret show, so I'll just be frank with you guys. The reason why I wanted to try it is I just wanted to see what the high was like. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm someone who definitely um, I'm not prudish when it comes to uh, mind altering substances. I think people should be careful. You know, I think it's kind of small-minded or narrow-minded to say, kind of a la Nancy Reagan, you know, all drugs are bad. Don't do drugs or whatever. I think both street drugs and prescription drugs are, there's a sliding scale, a spectrum. Some are relatively benign. Some, whether we're talking about prescription drugs or street drugs, can be incredibly dangerous and addictive. We know there's a huge uh, kind of opiate epidemic right now in the United States. I think, uh, especially in I think in Massachusetts, uh, where I am, and in New Hampshire, and supposedly a lot of people ended up getting hooked on illegal opiates like heroin, et cetera, because they had been prescribed prescription opiates like OxyContin or um, what's the other one. Is it fentanyl or I I forget the name of it, but there's another really strong prescription one that I think is almost as bad as heroin, you know? And so a lot of people start off taking prescription painkillers, opiates or whatever. And then when they can't get that anymore, they end up switching over the street drugs and basically becoming junkies. But then there's other drugs that I think are relatively benign, like, uh, Marijuana And there's some drugs that I don't think are really physically dangerous, like this hallucinogens, like psilocybin, mushrooms, um, acid, uh, that type of thing, that you probably don't have to worry about bodily harm or worry about those drugs doing any permanent systemic damage or becoming addictive or anything, but they can be incredibly potent psychologically speaking. Um, anyone who's ever tried something like mushrooms or acid, I don't have to tell you how, uh, how powerful those drugs can be and how they can literally be life-changing. They can view for better or worse, they can change the way you, um, you view the world either, either, um, in the short term or long-term, um, supposedly Kratom, and I've heard it pronounced Kratom, Kratom but i like the sound of the pronunciation kratom so i'll go with that it's supposed to be relatively benign um a bunch of states have made it illegal and even when i was buying it i got it from i guess a fairly reputable place online i think it was like 15 bucks for um i think a bag of 7 Doses and they consider one dose to be six pills on empty stomach. I took one. I wanted to go easy on myself. So I, I took one capsule on Thursday. And uh, but even that place where I bought it online, I know it's the same with a lot of other places that sell it. It's still legal in Massachusetts. Supposedly the DEA a year or two ago tried to ban it completely, but there was a huge public backlash because a lot of people use Kratom, I guess. And the DEA actually backed down. So for the time being, in the majority of states here in the U.S., you can still purchase it. Uh, But even then, a lot of places seem to prefer Bitcoin and alternative payment methods. I don't know if it's because they're expecting at any time the stuff could become illegal or whatever. Uh, You know, I don't know. Um, But actually, how this stuff mixes with alcohol, I don't know. We'll see. And I should let you know that oh right, I've only had a few sips of rum and coke, haven't taken anything else. And I feel a little out of it. I don't know why. I just feel um, a little foggy-headed, as it is. So how this show is going to unfold, I don't know. And I actually might go take some asthma medicine before I go any further. Okay, so I just took a pull off of my CeraVan discus. You know, I really don't have the type of asthma where... I have to worry about being rushed to the emergency room or where I get caught up in, uh, you know, a, a noticeable wheezing fit or something like that. Um, once in a great while, I'll wheeze, like I'll be in bed in a, uh, a rare occasion. All of a sudden, I'll hear some noise. And I'll be like, what's that? Oh, it's me wheezing. For the most part, my asthma is a lot more mild than that, but it's enough to be a nuisance where you can feel like just like an uncomfortable tightness in your chest. Or maybe if I'm singing or podcasting, I noticed that I have to work a little more to get adequate breaths in between sentences or, uh, you know, little things like that. When I was a kid, it was really bad. Like I would be home from school weeks at a time. No one knew what was wrong with me. It took a while to get diagnosed, but I had really bad untreated allergies. Um, And obviously, asthma and allergies are kind of uh, interrelated. If your allergies are acting up, that can further impact your breathing or uh, trigger um, asthmatic episodes or whatever. So uh, I was especially wretched during um, spring and summer. I would just be horribly sick, severe untreated allergies... Uh, combined with uh, untreated asthma um, that would sometimes lead to bad chest or lung infections or whatever. And I would just be laid up on, like, the family room couch sometimes for, you know, a couple weeks at a time. Um, And I had this horrible pediatrician, and one time his own nurse told my mother, you have to take him somewhere else. And she gave my mother the number of a specialist in the nearby town of Arlington, this old World War II vet. Uh, Otto Now was the guy's name. Just this great old guy, and his specialty was pediatric uh, asthma and allergies. Um, And I think the final straw also with that other doctor was my mother brought me into his office and told him that I was really sick, and his response, basically uh, telling my mother that it was all in my head. I just didn't want to go to school. And when I came home, I puked up like a gallon of phlegm. I'm sorry that I put that image in your head. But um, seriously, it was like a clear phlegm. Like I had so much fluid from being sick from, you know, from the allergies, etc., And, uh, you know, whatever it was at the time, a chest infection or something that I was just, my stomach, my lungs were just filled with fluid. And I just yacked up like a gallon of this clear phlegm or whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was bad. And then the doctor in Arlington diagnosed me and said, yeah, this kid's in a bad way. He has really bad asthma and allergies. And, um... He was the first one to ever give me, you know, allergy or asthma medicine. And he gave me this drug that I used to love called Theophilin. It was a little pill, little white pill that was in the, uh, like the caffeine family. So it had kind of like a stimulant effect. And it also helped relax your airways so you could breathe better. And um, I was always kind of a a laid back, daydreamy little kid and uh, kind of introverted naturally or whatever. And he told my mother, he's like, watch what happens with this kid when you give him this mess. And, and the next day, it was like, boing. I, I was just you know running all over the place, full of energy. And I was taking Theophilin off and on in my life until recently. Doctors began to realize uh, over the years that there was risks of toxicity with it and that there was a small therapeutic window, meaning the dose... It took to be effective was also too close for comfort to the dose at which it reaches toxicity. And it can cause, co- I'm trying to think if it was uh, kidney or liver problems, but something you don't want. And so it's getting harder and harder to get. So it's very hard to even procure theophylline anymore. So I finally gave in. And that's why I've been talking about taking inhaled steroids here and there on the show, because there's really not many other options. There's a couple of long-acting beta agonists, and, th- and then there's the uh, inhaled steroids and the kind of combination drugs. But I don't like the inhaled steroids, because um, they're notorious for uh, causing hoarseness and affecting the quality of your voice, etc. And I already naturally have kind of like a, a raspy, a low, raspy voice, And I'm a singer and I'm a podcaster and I I noticed the difference why I'm on a steroid for too long and uh, my voice just starts to really give way and doesn't sound as strong. But I'm going to take a Kratom right now down the hatch. Like I said, they recommend taking six, (laughs) taking six um, capsules at once. And I forget, I did the math. There's like 28 capsules in a package. A dose is considered six. No, not 28 capsules. I'm sorry. There's 28 grams of kratom in the package. And that's divided up into a bunch of capsules. And one dose, one serving is considered six capsules. So I think I did the math and that's like less than a gram per capsule. And I heard some people say, you know, an effective dose is maybe somewhere around 2 to 3 grams but i took one capsule on thursday wasn't sure what it would do what i i figured one capsule would brought, probably be too weak i wouldn't feel anything about 9 minutes in i start to feel something something good i'll say um maybe kind of similar to a pot high but i don't really like pot but i'll i'll do it Almost, um, to be social, I guess. Kind of like a, not necessarily a peer pressure thing. But, uh, yeah, to kind of be social, to bond with the people who are doing it. You know, if my friends are doing it, if I'm hanging out at a party or something. And I'm not terribly fond of it. And I did have one really bad pot episode where I took a bong hit and I wasn't too experienced. This was a couple of years ago around Christmas time. I did a whole episode on it called, um... I think it might have been called like depression and psychological dismemberment, but I had probably the worst drug experience of my life on pot, which I never thought, I never expected that ever because I'm someone who's tried different hallucinogens, different drugs, and I never thought I'd be saying that it was pot that brought me to my knees, but I had a really bad experience. I don't want to digress further by going into that, but look for that old episode of The Week in Doubt if you're interested. Um, and usually if anything, you know, if I smoke a little bit of pot socially, sometimes it might make me feel either just plain stupid or maybe a little anxious or self-conscious in a weird way or something. But sometimes, you know, I I can feel like nice on pot, like just kind of carefree or mellow. And that's kind of like what I felt like with the Kratom. Probably started kicking in, like I said, maybe 9 or 10 minutes after I took it. I just started feeling like this nice feeling, and my head felt like a little tingly up top. Um, I felt like I couldn't really focus mentally, but that wasn't a bad thing. And in a way, it wasn't like I couldn't focus. It was more like maybe I felt like I didn't need to focus. Like it was alright just to be chill, just to uh, be mellow and be content. And yet I found if I did have to do something, I could do it and do it competently enough, you know? Um, And it reminded me of, uh, I think, reading about how Kratom can do that, where some people report having increased focus, but it's a different kind of focus than maybe you get on, like, certain stimulants or something like that. It's... More like you're able to focus more on one thing because the drug's good at kind of blocking out all the background noise and just letting your mind take on one thing at a time. But, you know, I can be neurotic, I can be over-analytical, and I notice I just felt really kind of mellow and kind of like euphoric or carefree on it. And I remember I wanted to record the podcast. Yeah, and I did. I ended up recording the podcast later that night. But I was going to record the podcast while trying Kratom for the first time. And it was a potent enough high that I knew, like, I don't think this will go well. Um, In the sense that, like I said, you can focus on it. But at the same time, you kind of feel like, hey, maybe I don't really need the focus. I just want to kind of chill. And I, I like to be sharp when I'm recording the podcast. And I felt altered enough that I didn't know how that would go down. But here I am on the uh, the Not So Secret show, the inaugural episode. And uh, we'll see how things go with the Kratom. I don't know how long it's been now. Was it been like maybe three or four minutes or something? And, I, and like I said, I don't know how it mixes with alcohol, but we'll find out. Now, I tried to jot down some things I wanted to talk about. Obviously, this isn't scripted. At all. And uh, actually, The the Week in Doubt hasn't been scripted the last several episodes. I've just fallen out of the habit of um, scripting them. Usually what I would do is during the week while I'm working, uh, during my lunch break, I would, you know, script a a given episode of The Week in Doubt. Usually just in my head while I'm walking around stuff all week, I'd I'd think about what stories I wanted to do. I'd add um, any stories that caught my interest to my reading list on my iPad or iPhone. And then when I had enough stories that I knew you know, I had enough for an episode, then I'd start, you know, during my lunch, uh, just starting to flesh out a script or whatever. And then often, you know, by the time the end of the week came around, it was time to record, I'd basically have a script finished. Um, but I've just kind of fallen out of that habit. Uh, I still think about the show all week long. I still think about what topic I want to cover or what stories I want to, uh, cover. Um, but I think, uh, not to toot my own horn, I might be getting better at the unscripted episodes, you know? So I think I'm kind of getting used to working without a net. So I don't think that writing a script is necessarily important. In fact, it's kind of funny, um... I think it's kind of funny, what comes out of my mouth extemporaneously is usually not that much different than what you'd get if I scripted the episode. The only difference is uh, less ums and ahs, awkward pauses, (laughs) um, that type of thing. But it's still me, either way. It's still thoughts coming out of my brain, you know? One way you just get a more refined or polished end product But that's kind of a double-edged sword, too, because I think sometimes scripted episodes sound more contrived or don't sound as natural. I think um, just talking off the top of your head and hopefully at least being organized enough that, you know, you've given some thought to what you want to talk about beforehand and maybe you have like a rough outline or you've at least jotted down some topics and, uh, you know, have a uh, list of hyperlinks ready for stories you want to cover on your iPad or whatever. Um but yeah, not a heck of a lot of difference between scripted and unscripted episodes. Just one has more of like a polished feel, I guess. But I think some people uh, like um Matthew Scharnweber, a friend and listener who recently uh became a Patreon supporter, uh he's told me a couple of times now that he enjoys the unscripted kind of long-form episodes, which makes me feel really good because as I told him, I sometimes feel kind of self-conscious about those episodes because I am working without a net and I'm kind of afraid that I'm going to meander too much or kind of ramble and lose, uh, people's interest. But back to the Kratom. (laughs) So, uh, my bassist, I, I still call him my bassist, even though we haven't jammed in like a couple of years, I think. Uh, the guys in my band are still basically my best friends. Um, and my bassist, uh, sent me a link to an episode of this really cool Vice show called, uh, I think it's called Hamilton's Pharmacopia. And it's kind of this um, nerdy guy. And I'm not saying that to be uh, disparaging or anything. He self-identifies as kind of a nerd. Um, This kind of nerdy chemist type of guy who, who likes to kind of travel the world or whatever. At least that's what he does for the show trying different substances, and then talking to other scientists about them, talking about the pharmacology. So we did a whole episode on Kratom, and I watched it, and it was really interesting. It starts off where he's in a bar in Brooklyn, New York, where a woman serves Kratom in liquid form. Uh, It can basically be brewed into a tea or turned into, you know, some kind of liquid drink. And I think it wasn't long after he tried it where he's like, yeah, I feel it. I I feel a euphoria. I think he actually says, he says, I'm surprised this exists. (laughs) And then he goes all around. He goes like to Southeast Asia, different parts um, to see where the plant grows naturally. And there's like armed people guarding kratom crops uh, from thieves and stuff like that. And there's parts of Southeast Asia where kratom has been made illegal and it's thought part of the reason might go back to um, when the government in the given region, I forget which specific region it was, was actually involved in the, uh, the selling of opium. And it was thought that kratom was competition for opium. And yet kratom is considered much more benign and far less addictive or whatever. Um, he talks to a woman was in a series of car accidents when she was young, as was I. I was in two fairly bad car accidents within a, um, a narrow span of time. And she developed really bad chronic pain. And she found that Kratom really helped with her chronic pain. And she was talking about how she was really hoping it doesn't ever become illegal in her given state or that the DEA doesn't make it illegal across the board. And so they, um, they did these tests with it. And, uh, it was kind of wacky. I felt bad for the mouse. I, f- I feel bad whenever I see, you know, one of these mice. Where it's fascinating, the information they can learn by testing with them. But they had one of those things where they have the mouse with basically, it looks like they must have opened up its skull. And they put like this little adapt, like plastic adapter and somehow like graft it to the thing's head. And then they plug in, you know, like wires or whatever. So they can read the mouse's brain activity and, and see how its brain activity uh, varies or fluctuates well under the influence of different substances and so they did a test like that and they they it, they videotaped it you know for the show and they're showing how Kratom behaves like morphine to some degree but it doesn't peak uh like they showed a big difference where morphine, really spikes or peaks in the uh, ad- the addiction center of the brain or whatever, where kratom didn't. And so they said kratom kind of behaves like an opiate, but at the same time, they think it also might increase serotonin. And I'm on an antidepressant, and that made me wonder if maybe um the kratom was potentiating my antidepressant or vice versa. And they always say you have to be careful when you're taking multiple... Drugs that can increase serotonin because there's something uh, known as serotonin syndrome, which can happen to you, which supposedly isn't very pleasant. Uh, serotonin, a very pleasant brain chemical, or, you know, one uh, well, of the brain's natural neurotransmitters, but serotonin syndrome is supposedly no joke. That's why like, I-, I was warned against taking um, L-tryptophan as a supplement while taking antidepressants. Cause it's it's hard to naturally boost the brain serotonin. And surprisingly, there's a lot of serotonin in your gut, but serotonin has uh, trouble making it through the blood brain barrier. But tryptophan can actually help manufacture serotonin, uh, brains uh, to the point where it can elevate brain serotonin. Uh, so I was warned. When I think it was last year, I was going through a kind of a kind of relapse of uh, my depression. And uh, the I told the doctor, I was thinking about trying L-tryptophan. She's like, no, don't do it. You know, you, you can get serotonin syndrome if you take L-tryptophan while you're on a depressant. Well, I don't always take the doctor's advice. And I did end up <laughs> for a while taking like one L-tryptophan uh, capsule at night Um or tablet, uh, well, still taking antidepressant and I never had any problem. Sometimes at night after taking the L-tryptophan, I'd get like this nice kind of warm feeling, maybe similar in a way to kind of Kratom in a way, just kind of like this contented warm feeling and it made it like easier to fall asleep. I don't know. I think, I don't, I don't know if it's the rum and Coke or if it's the Kratom, but I'm starting to feel something. Yeah, I actually want to uh get the bag of Kratom. And I got it from a place called Kraken Kratom. Not Kraken as in Kraken Good, uh, but but uh Kraken like the mythological monster. And it has like a green cartoon squid on the front of the package. It comes in like an envelope full of uh kind of like herbal capsules. And um it looks kind of like, it, the packaging's kind of ch- cheesy in a way, you know, like, not that that necessarily matters, but when you're taking a substance for the first time, you know, often um, the packaging can either instill, and I know this too also from being a graphic designer, uh, freelance graphic designer, still haven't left my shitty uh, home remodeling job with my family, but um, that packaging really matters, and that like packaging can convey a message It can instill confidence or it can make something seem cheap. So when you're about to ingest something, you know, maybe you see something that doesn't have the greatest, you know, the most professional look to it and you're like, oh boy, it kind of looks like a a little package of plant food or something. It's not terrible, you know, it's not terrible design, but yeah, it's what, when I look at it, I don't think it, edible doesn't come to mind. I look at it and I think, oh, I should put this in a, in a planter or something to help my uh, plants grow. But Um, and I went with this place, Crack and Kratom, because that's who Pimp Monk, from the Drunken Peasants and the Ben Pie stream, that's where he gets his, and they're actually a sponsor of his. And, uh, yeah, it's free, free, like, expedited shipping or whatever, or, like, first class, I don't know if it's first class shipping or what, but it was free shipping, it cost me, like, 15 bucks for this package, and, um it came within a couple of days and I might actually take another one. And so if you're going to take this stuff like habitually, like all the time, if you're going to take like larger doses than I've been taking, you'd probably have to buy it in a bigger volume. And um, it looks like it does get kind of expensive. Uh, I saw for like a really substantial amount, uh, I think it was like, you know, that might last you for a while might have been like 70 something bucks. And there's all different strains. Some strains are supposed to be more sedating, while some are supposed to be more, have more of like a, a stimulant effect. But supposedly, whatever the strain or whatever, basically the way Kratom works is they say it at low doses, it works like a stimulant. Higher doses, you notice the opiate like effects or the, the uh, sedative like effects. Um, but like I said, I took one, which is a really small dose, and I didn't feel any stimulant effects. I just felt like this mellow high. And it was a really nice high for me because it it didn't involve any of like the, the feelings of self-consciousness or anxiety or any of the negative effects that I might associate with, uh, with marijuana. It was uh, marijuana. I sound really fucking square when I said marijuana. Um, It was just a really nice kind of like worry-free kind of euphoric mellow high. But yeah, I'll take a second one. What the hell? I don't know if I'll do three, but I'll do two. I want to make sure that, you know, I don't take too much because um, I can be kind of susceptible to nausea because, you know, I have uh, knock on wood, kind of a superstitious thing for a uh, skeptic to do. But, you know, I've been living with reoccurring chronic migraines for like the past 20 years, actually, you know, roughly around the time of those car accidents. And, um, When those headaches act up they're accompanied by this horrible nausea that just makes me want to like avoid anything that could possibly cause nausea at all costs you know so like i definitely do not want to take more than necessary i do not feel like yakking um but they recommend once again six capsules i just took a second one not even close to the six so But I could definitely see how people could use this daily. Like, uh, you know, I have friends who like, they have to smoke pot like every day. It's just, you know, like some people drink coffee, helps get them through the day. I have friends that smoke pot, like it's just a staple of their life. It just helps them make do and get through the day. And I could see how people could do that with Kratom. But I I don't know what the long-term effects are. I don't know if you end up building a tolerance to it or whatever, or if there's any type of like rebound effect or something, but um, it's a nice enough high where I could see people trying to get that to take the uh, to take the edge off every day. You know, um, I might freshen up my rum and coke, and maybe I'll I'll play a song. Like ethically, as I said before, on one of these uh, Patreon bonus shows, I don't know how I necessarily feel ethically about playing copyrighted music on the show because even though it's not being offered publicly. You know, I'm not putting it on YouTube or anything like that. I'm still making money through Patreon and then using other people's copyright material to kind of entertain you guys. So there's some gray area there. I don't feel completely comfortable with it, but I absolutely love music. I'm a music junkie and I like sharing music with people. And so I'm probably gonna play another song. I go into my iTunes library and see what I got. Okay, so I'm gonna play one of my favorite Cranberries songs. Um, this is something I thought about doing on The weekend out. Uh Turn this down a little. I actually love the Cranberries, and I, I'm i kind of jaded to celebrity deaths, but the death of Dolores O'Riordan, or however I pronounce her last name, that's one that did kind of freeze me in my tracks. When I was younger, I was a huge Cranberries fan. Still consider myself a Cranberries fan. It's weird, because you might not expect that of me, but I can go from The Doors to Morbid Angel to A Slayer to Medieval music to Vivaldi to The Cranberries to P.J. Harvey to folk music. I'm all over the place. You know, I like all different types of music. But this is one of my favorite... Cranberry songs, uh, electric blue. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna freshen up my drink. Domine! Domine Domine Deus. There's like a sacred feeling to this song, and at the same time, like a romantic feeling, too. One of my favorites. Guardian Angel. Phylax. <laughs> the chills. Yeah, so, um. let let that fade out. Yeah, that was... Yeah, I couldn't believe she died. She was 46. Um... You know, had... A husband, kids... Well, I guess she was actually uh divorced. And supposedly, I think it was like a year or two ago, if I read it correctly, she was diagnosed. You think it was something that she would have been diagnosed with sooner, you know. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um and I've known people who are you know, who've suffered or suffer from bipolar disorder. And it can be one hell of a roller coaster ride, both for the person and the people around them. Uh, the manic episodes—I mean, people can be kind of destructive or self-destructive even during you know those kind of manic ups—and then the downs can be you know in- incredibly like just crushing despair and depression. Um, but it looks like uh, I-, I think they're saying that. It was basically an intentional overdose, and I think it was fentanyl or whatever that crap was I was talking about before, the prescription um, opiate. Yeah, fentanyl, and I'm looking at a, I don't know why it came up, but it's a foreign version of Rolling Stone magazine online, and the first thing I see is uberdosis fentanyl, Ugh. The Cranberries starb Dolores O'Rairdon on einer Uberdosis fentanyl. I don't know if listener Tim Danaher will ever hear this, but I'm sure I just butchered that German. But it's funny, I don't know why, but because I'm a Cranberries fan and my mind would just kind of wander to them and to her every now and then. And I'd hear about her being married with children, you know, always working on different musical projects having different homes here and there and almost feeling like envious that it seemed like she had this really good life and it goes to the show you never know doesn't matter how much money you have what you think people have going for them ostensibly you know on the outside superfici- superficially you never know what people are going through and people from all walks of life people from all different economic uh classes or whatever, uh, are susceptible to mental illness, uh, mood disorders, um, you know, just having a negative perspective on things, you know, uh, all sorts of, you know, infirmities or whatever. Uh, Yeah, you never, you never know, man. I mean, just time and time again, we hear stories about celebrities who we probably, you know, would envy thinking they live these perfect lives. And then find out that, you know, that they had all this, we're going through all this horrible stuff behind the scenes or just hearing one day that they've committed suicide or whatever, you know, like Chris Cornell. I never would have imagined that in a thousand years. Um, uh, I don't know why. I just always pictured him as being uh, someone that was probably kind of level-headed in a way. And uh, I had no idea he was battling, you know, depression, all these demons or whatever, but. Yeah, there's another person that, you know, as a singer, you know, I would probably, oh, man, I'd give anything to be like, uh, to have that level of success, to have my music known all around the world, probably successful enough that, you know, he has this great house he lives in or whatever, you know, all this stuff. And then he found he, he was suffering so badly behind the scenes that he ended up taking his own life. So you just never know, man. I guess all any of us can really do is like, no no matter what your financial situation is, no matter whether or not you're where you want to be in life, I guess you got to try to find some measure of contentment, try to find the best way possible, I guess, to look at things and just try to keep your eye on the prize, whatever that is for you. And little by little, try to move forward and make for yourself the life that you want you know and I know it's probably easier said than done especially when you're wrestling with your demons I know because hell I just told you guys I'm on antidepressants you know believe me I know and I, I go to uh talk therapy once a month but I guess you gotta try it's not always easy especially when you're in the grip of like a uh a really bad bout of depression to see the light through the fog but you have to try you know and eventually, things usually do clear up enough where you can start uh putting things in perspective and taking steps forward. but yeah, the cranberries had so many good songs like I would listen to them if I was like pining away for a girl or like I don't know, maybe if I went through a breakup or something, I'd listen to stuff like like electric blue, like uh." Daffodil, uh, Lament. Um, what's the other one I really like? Be With You. That's a great one. Um, a bunch of great kind of angsty, kind of romantic songs. And then, of course, the Zombie. I just Zombie is just a really powerful song. I think probably one of the best songs in rock history. Um, obviously, with a political message about um, the Irish Civil War and things like that. And this is a neither here nor there, but I always fa- thought she was like pretty. I always found Dolores attractive. And it looks like, uh, yeah, she was uh, older than me. She was, she was 46, and I uh, thought she still looked really good. She looked like she kept really good care of herself and everything. Um, yeah, it's a talented, beautiful person, man. Gone. Gone. Remember, I, th- I think I was working with my brother. We were gutting a bathroom listening to, like, the local talk radio station or whatever. And during a news update, they just kind of casually in passing or whatever, you know, not not to make them sound too cold, but, you know, they just mentioned, like, as a, a news story they were rattling off that Dolores O'Riordan of the uh, Cranberries had, had died. And it took me, like, a minute to process it. I'm like, what? Usually if I heard, like, a celebrity died, I'm like... Uh, now we can really get into dark territory. I I wouldn't say that uh, I was happy, but I think like George Carlin used to talk about how he would like, I don't know if it rejoices the right word, but like get a sense of excitement when you hear like about horrible stories on the news, like natural disasters and stuff. And I think there is kind of maybe this schadenfreude or this kind of dark side to human nature, where even if we do our best to be good people, you know, there is this kind of dark side to, uh, to our nature sometimes where maybe, uh, you know, you'll hear about some huge star dying and you're like, well, you know, maybe kind of better them than me or, hey, I'm still alive and kicking or whatever, you know, or maybe I'll have thoughts like that and eh, whatever Like that puts me in. Hey, you know, I'm trying to be as brutally honest as possible. But once in a while, if someone whose art really touched me or who really inspired me or who I really admired, dies, it will kind of pause me in my tracks and kind of leave me cold for a moment, you know, kind of numb with shock almost the way it might, you know, when you hear that a family member or or someone close to you died. It was kind of like that when I heard Dolores from The Cranberries died. It's like I didn't know how to process it at first. I was just like numb and stunned. And I've been around long enough to have that happen with relatives. I, I can remember those times when, like, you come downstairs or something, and uh, one of your parents says, uh, your grandfather died," or uh, "Aunt so and so died," you know. And there's usually this weird kind of they'll say it in like this weird somber matter of fact, weird weird somber yet matter of fact way. And it it kind of freezes you in your tracks and takes you a bit to kind of process what you just heard. Yeah, but so I was talking about phylax, phylax. Uh, So it sounds like a drug or something, like a prescription drug. Um, I just did, uh, I just finished recording episode 274 last night. I talked about that story about that Greek statue that was torn down by kind of superstitious religious fundamentalists or whatever because they thought this kind of abstract-looking statue of this kind of angelic figure that the artist named Phylax, which I think it's taken from Greek and it means guardian, they thought it resembled Satan. Um, and I was kind of like... I was I was denouncing what they did, but at the same time, I was saying how weird and off-putting I thought the sculpture was. Um, but I think the more I looked at it, the more it grew on me to the point where by the time I was doing the YouTube version of the episode, I kind of regretted how much I had been bashing the statue. Like, yeah, it's got some personality in a way. And, um, yeah, even a friend and listener Crocoduck said, uh, said they liked, uh, Phy-Lanx. Phy-Lanx. <laughs> Phylax. Phylax? Phylax. I think I just, um, merged phylax and phalanx. Phalanx is a military term. The uh the Greek army used to um they'd put these long spears out in front of them and uh maybe hold their shields a certain way and march forward. I think that was a phalanx or something. Uh it was some kind of ancient Greek military formation. But I might close this inaugural episode of the the not so secret show out. And I'm looking to f- see if I have any good, sh- uh, good shows, yes, good songs to play. Oh, I got one. So one of my favorite singers is a, is a folk singer named uh, Marie Sue, like a young uh, Native American folk singer. I've played her- I have played her music on one of the other Patreon bonus shows. And here's a cover she did of The Cure's love song. It's kind of uh, hauntingly beautiful. It's a, a really nice song. So I'll probably leave you guys with this. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I took that that second Kratom. So uh, I think I, I feel nice. Maybe I'm getting used to the high of it or whatever. But like, I definitely feel like I can... I feel way more mentally sharp or focused than I did when I uh, took it before. And that's not to say I, I felt bad because obviously I didn't. Like I was saying before, it's the type of thing where you feel like maybe you don't need to focus or focusing is important. You just want to kind of chill and be content but i feel much more kind of alert or something than i did uh the first time i tried it but i still feel this kind of nice high and how it's mixing with the alcohol i don't know but here's uh marie sue's love song or her version of love song and uh thanks for supporting the show through patreon you guys and uh let me know if you like this and uh how often you want to hear this type of thing you know all right later